0: Today, guys, what I want to talk to you about is a horse's ability to read incongruencies. I feel like it's important to recognize that one of the most important horsemanship skills that we should work on and possess is integrity. And by integrity, I don't mean righteousness. It doesn't mean that I think that I'm right all the time. By integrity, I mean that what I say is what I do and not just in the arena. What I say is what I do in the arena. It's what I do in the stall barn, but it's also what I do when I'm walking down the street, when I'm in the grocery store, when I'm someday hopefully again at a restaurant, right? When I'm I'm talking to my friends or if I'm talking to a stranger, I want to have the same personal philosophies and actions continually being practiced and emphasized, okay? So a lot of times in the horse industry, what you'll see is that a person has a public persona and an entirely different private persona, And so for me then, what that means is there's a lack of integrity, right? That there's a belief system that they truly have, right? That's what they do in private. And then there's a belief system that they're trying to project to the general public. And that doesn't mean that if you have integrity, that you're a good person, right? You can still be a jerk and have integrity so long as... You are a jerk in private and you're a jerk in public, <laughs> okay? So it doesn't necessarily mean um, that your your list of values or, or ethics are, are what I would consider um, good or healthy, but at least it's congruent. And I think that one of the biggest, most magical things that horses can do is read when there is a lack of congruency, right? If you show up pretending to care more about how they feel than about whether or not you get the task done, or if you show up pretending that their needs are more important than your personal goals for that session or, um, you know, uh, training time. So, A good example of this is I grew up in such a way that most of the people around me lacked integrity. I think a lot of us grew up in situations where there is a public presentation of the family unit and that public display does not match what happens at home. And I think that wires us to believe those lies, and uh, you know, a way to describe that phenomenon is confabulation. So one way to define the word confabulation is a lie that's truth truthfully told, and um, a lie is a lie, guys. And so you know, if in public we put on this front that everybody's happy, the kids are thriving you know, we love our lives, everything's good, but when we get home, there's violence and fear and, you know, despair, well, that is going to lead to mental illness, <laughs> and I I feel like it's just not a healthy way to um, grow and become better, right? If we can't acknowledge that things are bad or, you know, that there's room to improve, then um, it, you can't improve. You just keep pretending. And I personally am ready to stop pretending. And what I love about my horses is they call me on my bullshit. Quite honestly, right? If I show up and I'm tr- I've had a bad day, something's triggered me. I'm I'm in a, a you know a stress induced mindset, but I'm you know wanting to do something with my horses. If I can't wrangle that, if I can't reconcile the the stressful trigger and get back into a place of acceptance and and love and and curiosity then my horses call me on that especially my more um dominant mares they're like no way am i doing anything with you today because your vibe is not you know um feeling good to me right and so my personal belief is that horses Pick up on our vibrational frequency. That's science, guys. That's not woo-woo. You know, n- not substantiated. It's imp- there's empirical evidence that proves that when we think a thought or feel a feeling, we emit a, a frequency, and if those frequencies have um, an empowering. Um, you know, feeling behind them like love, joy, compassion, empathy, all of those things they vibrate on a higher frequency than things like fear, shame, guilt, frustration, anger. All right, all of those things vibrate on a lower frequency. So, I believe that horses have developed a sensitivity to our frequency over the years in an effort to survive, right? It started, you know, when they were wild animals and they needed to know the difference between a predator that was taking a nap and a predator that was, you know, about to have them for lunch. Because if they spooked and ran every single time um, they saw a predator, they'd run out of energy and then be more vulnerable to becoming that predator's meal. So over the years, though, what that has evolved into is being able to sense when their human friends are, um, in a mindset that's going to make time with them enjoyable, or are they in a mindset that they need to defend themselves from us? So, um, there is a book that I highly recommend all horsemen read. It's called Becoming Supernatural, and it's by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And in this book, he, um, Quantifies our frequencies, and he says that when we are feeling neutral right, neither empowered and or disempowered right empowered he 'd also describe as um, uh, expanded and disempower, disempowered would be contracted right so expanded emotions vibrate above two fifty neutral is at two hundred fifty, and contracted emotions vibrate below two hundred fifty. So my theory is, is that because I'm the kind of horseman that uses pressure to um, direct my horse towards something that I want them to enjoy, I need to be deliberate with my frequency. I don't think that it's very helpful to, to use a frequency that falls below 250, maybe 200, Because in there is a try, right? That's where pressure might live between 200 and 250. But so I can deliberately take my frequency in that range between 200 and 250 to let my horse know that we're trying to shape a behavior. But all that does is cause my horse to learn how to process pressure, which is a good skill. It's super important. I want my horse to know that they should move away from, yield, to that pressure pressured feeling. But if that's all I do, what I do then is to teach them that their time with me is all about how to get away from things that they find unpleasant. What that will cause them to do is make them want to hunt the stop. What do I got to do to make this over? How do I shut you up? How do I get you to leave me alone? So I want there to be more than that to our interactions. So in order to do that then, I have to also help them understand that as they move away from pressure, they're going to encounter something pleasing, right? My em- empowered or expanded frequencies. And, and harmonizing with other creatures that have an expanded frequency feels good. So then that causes the doing of the thing to be enjoyable, versus only causing the not doing the right thing to be unpleasant, okay? So in order to do that, though, in order to be good at that in the arena, I need to practice it all the time, okay? I can't be an asshole to the wait staff at a restaurant and not take responsibility for the frequency that I'm, I'm you know, imposing on those people and, you know, what that does to them energetically and and only take responsibility for that in the arena. I'm missing an opportunity to develop some fitness around that ability, all right? So that doesn't mean that I feel happy all the time. That's nuts. You'd be psychotic. It means that I'm trying to be deliberate with my frequency and take responsibility for how my frequency influences other bodies of energy, right? And am I doing something that helps promote high, um, high frequencies, right? Harmony in the high frequency range, or am I, you know, puking low frequencies on others and pulling them down? And so part of that has to come from being real with ourselves about what are my natural tendencies and are they helping me or are they hurting me on my, you know, journey to trying to be great with horses? And that includes, you know, how I speak to my husband when I'm angry or when I, you know, am feeling um, empowered, right? When my frequencies get triggered below 200 I, I need to be responsible and careful about what I do in those moments. Does that mean I think that I'm good at that all the time? Heck no. Of course, I get hijacked by my limbic system because I have triggers like everyone, right? It triggers um, you know, a, a, a stress response and, and my survival brain kicks in and all kinds of crazy stuff happens. But what I will do is be real about it. I'll, I'll take some time. To process the event and make sure that after the fact when when you know all of those biochemical changes have subsided, that I process what happened and try to make a plan for when I 'm likely to encounter that trigger again so that I might handle it better the next time all right that comes also with not pretending that you know parts of us are um, non-existent, right? So to give you an example, what I've seen over and over again in my family is that in public, especially like on social media and stuff, that I have loved ones in all different facets. I'm not calling any individual out. I'm, I'm talking about my family on both sides as a whole in general. What There's a phenomenon that just baffles me where someone might be describing a person who was involved in their childhood as this great grand hero when I know that person abused them, right? (laughs) They were neglectful or physically or mentally, emotionally abusive. And I just am a firm believer in calling a spade a spade. I'm not going to, you know, water down the struggles that I went through as a child because those are the things that I need to embrace and understand. That doesn't mean that I don't appreciate everyone who helped to raise me. It took a village for sure. But at the same time, I'm going to um, be truthful about where they fell short because that's the only way that I can learn to understand myself better and become better myself. Okay. I know everyone who who you know was played a parental role of any kind, whether that's coaches or teachers or parents or I had an aunt who raised me an uncle who raised me. They all did the best they could with the skills that they had at the time. But what I'm starting to learn as an adult was they had really crappy childhoods. I never knew that. Everyone pretended that they had great childhoods. Right? If if you looked from the outside looking in, you'd think that you know everything was great, and there's no reason for anybody to have any kind of issues. They had every right to have issues, <laughs> right? And if they'd been more honest about that sooner, maybe I'd be farther along in my personal growth journey. But you know, it's it's everything happens just as it meant as it is meant to. At any rate, guys, if for no other reason than you are desperate in your heart and soul to be great with horses, what you have to do is be honest with yourself about your skills, right? boast about them, be truthful about that part too, but also be honest with ourselves about where we need to make some improvements, all right? And that also comes with acknowledging our struggles, being real about, you know, the things that we've been through and healing them, okay? So I hope that helps you to advance your horsemanship skills and become a more effective, whole, happy, healthy human being, if it does, I sure would consider it a close personal favor. If you would like, comment, share, um, review all, all of my podcasts, um, I would love to grow my audience and help as many people as possible. If you'd like some um, one-on-one coaching with me for your horsemanship journey, check out my website, www.thecoachchristie.com. Christy is K-R-I-S-T-I. I would love to be your coach.